It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is big. Looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits, this is Bashcast episode number 117. The Bromley Drift. Coming up in tonight's Bashcast... Newcastle and Manchester United fight it out for probably the game of the season so far. Jose still has a job. The Chiefs and the Rams maintain a perfect winning start in the NFL. And we look at the NBA. The start of the basketball season is just around the corner. Later on in the Bashcast, Betfair Australia tip out some uh, helpful tweets. Look at daily routines and a Sunday Times article on betting restrictions. Pinnacle lists their top five biggest ever losses. Jeff Banks is shaking his fist and shouting in an empty room. And teenagers find genius ways to hack arcade machines. All this and more coming up in tonight's Bashcast. This is big. How are we doing here with the intro? I feel like after 117 um, episodes, we might be getting slightly closer to an intro, maybe. I might keep this one for more than two weeks in a row. I might get rid of it next week. We'll see. What a start to the day. Project Sexy got delayed this morning. Um, Picked up the... So, the fun thing about working for a large company, as what I was for most of the last decade, is that when the car breaks down, it's a lease car. It's not a problem. The unfun thing about being a professional bookie basher and owning your own car is when the car breaks down and you've got to go rescue the kids from the hard shoulder of the motorway. There yeah, you're liable to pay it yourself. So we've got a new clutch on the cash kai. Um, picked it up from the garage last night. Uh, got in it to go to CrossFit at 6.30 in the morning this morning. And... It was an effort to get it into first gear, couldn't get it into second. And third, it it was having none of that. So I turned around halfway there. Didn't get Project Sexy in this morning. So that's not going to look good for the bod pod at Staffordshire University on Friday. And the cash guy is back at the garage. Hope your day started a little bit better than mine. By the, t- by the time it was 8.30 in the morning... I'd had a broken down car, a cold, which I hope you can't hear in my voice. Um, I was coming towards the end of a fast, which always puts me rather grumpy anyway. And I was ready to go back to bed and start the day again. So I did. It's now 20 past 12, Thursday, the 11th of October. I'm in a much better mood. What happened on the weekend? Bromley drifted. This was a strange one. So, on the coupon scrapes on the weekend, specifically on the pushes coupon, we had a lot of 
smart money coming from Bromley. I mean, sometimes it's like the strangest teams that their smart money comes in for. And this is why the technique works as well, because it's like, how are we ever going to know that there is reason to bet on Bromley, that they're overpriced? So they were 2.7 on the exchange. Money pushed them down to 2.34. I mean, I guess in the National League, it doesn't take a lot of money to push the price down, but it's still quite a um, steam. Um, and they at least went into 2.34. They continued down a little bit more. So at that point, there are, uh, they are 107% EV on the pushes coupon because they were 6 to 4 on the pushes coupon. And National League's not on the Seventh Heaven coupon, unfortunately. So we could only um, take advantage on the pushes. Um, so once teams hit like 107, 108, 109%, that's when they're cut. And um, it was reported at lunchtime around about 12, 15 p.m. on Saturday that the price had changed, as we expected. What we didn't expect is that the price was increased. Um... Now, what did they do here? They so they were two six to four in the coupon, two point three four at the exchange. So Betfred increased the price to eleven to five. Say what? They increased the price to eleven to five, three point two. My guess is that they would try to do two point two, and they ended in a three point two. But here's the weird thing: between twelve fifteen p.m. and three p.m. kickoff. They didn't cut them, but they cut other teams. I don't understand that. Like, it was never highlighted at any point that Bromley were now 11 to 5, 3.2 to back, and 2.34 to lay. So, we're like, hello. So, let's um, just pick up the first coupon that referred to Bromley at 11 to 5. Um, here we go. 11 to 5. They would, at this point, um, at 2.03 in the afternoon, they were 2.3 to lay. 11, uh, 3.2 to back, 139.1% EV. Now, this does two things. One, it makes every treble. I mean, you can take Bromley and any two other teams and it's going to be good, right? Because they're 139%. You could take negative EV teams, put them in a treble with Bromley, and the treble would be good. So everything is good. Everything is like the track was throwing up 150, 160, 170% EV trebles. Here's the thing. Um, how much of a hassle is it going to be to get paid out on Bromley? You see, the last time this happened, it happened with Hearts. It wasn't even this big. It wasn't as big as this. Um, uh, it wasn't 139.1% expected value on the single ARB. Um, and Fred tried to pay out at half the price and it ended it was going to cost me personally like two thousand pounds so i i went to the effort of suing betfred taking him to court taking him to the small claims court and uh won um but it was like i don't know over six months between placing the bet and getting the money so it's like how much hassle can i go to for bromley and it all kind of depends on the value of Bromley, because if Bromley win and it's worth £2,000, I'll probably fight it. If Bromley win and it's worth £200, I probably won't. And if Bromley don't win, it's it's not an issue. It's not a problem. But the other thing is that the other teams were value. Aldershot were value. Peterborough were value. Leighton Orient were value. Scunthorpe were value. So it's like, do you just want to concentrate on Bromley with all the hassle that they're going to bring and ignore this, the rest of this value? Or are we going to like attack Bromley? So we attacked Bromley. 
I guess it's that kind of combination of greed and lack of time to put it into perspective. I think, you know, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. is such a rushed time where so much is happening. I think if that period of time was stretched over the week and uh, I could make more reasoned decision-making, then probably the right thing to do would have been, let's get, like, two slips on Bromley, and then everything else we'll just do without Bromley so we don't have to worry about them. We can get paid something if it comes in. But we... Um, no, that uh, greed took over, and we smashed a lot of bets on Bromley, who were away to Maidstone United. They did have an unbeaten run of two games, and they extended it to three games when they beat Maidstone 1-0. So whoever was smart enough to push that price in from 2.7 to 2.3 in the exchange got it right. Junior Ogedi Ozoke, sorry if I butchered your name, Junior, got the only goal of the game in the 11th minute to make it 1-0 Bromley, and that came in. So the question was, what was going to happen to the coupons? What price was Fred going to pay at? My guess was going to be two, uh, six to five, and I was wrong. They paid out at 11 to five. Can you believe that? 11 to five. They paid out on the palpable increased price. That was unexpected. I mean, it wasn't even like... So the Hearts incident, they printed the price on the coupon. It wasn't that far off the exchange. And so it was annoying when they didn't pay out at the price that was printed on the coupon and on the bet slip. And so there was a case there. Here, I've almost... I almost could have accepted it if Bet Fred had paid out at 65 or 1. It was only going to cost a couple hundred quid, not 2,000, the way that the other results panned out. Um, but two, it was, it was an error on Bet Fred's side. Um, we caught it, but we were exploiting it to the fullest. Um, so, well, we'll take 11. If you want to pay out 3.2 on Bromley, away to Maidstone, when they're on an unbeaten run of two in the National League, then uh, be my guest. That takes them flying up to 16th position how come it's october and the national league have played 15 games already it still feels like it's right at the beginning of the season so that pushed them up to 16th in the table the rest of the weekend was rubbish for both coupons kind of broke even slight win again like we smashed the beginning of the season we've now had a few couple weeks in a row where we're just breaking even but we haven't taken any big losses yet on the coupons so um that's fine it's like the graph's going win 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 break even break even break even well we'll take that still waiting for that losing weekend the value mugs not so much so they were crap on the weekend they really were nothing came in i think it went it was the worst value mugs weekend since the shit world cup of 2018 anyone remember that hey eh? i'm trying to forget about it but on saturday so okay so coupons broke even value mugs nada there had two up how much longer bet 365 gonna do two up for i can't imagine that it's gonna last forever because, I mean, it's so easy to make big money on it. After the Europa League last week, where I had two in a single night on the Europa League, I started placing um, large Yankees. I've read someone write a blog somewhere saying 
mug betting, by which he means negative EV bets on an account. I guess that's an alternative definition to not laying bets, but I hate the phrase advantage play for that. So it's, uh, yeah. we, we need to get together to form a society to agree on terminology for a lot of this advantage play that we're doing. But um, he wrote a blog saying that right, placing negative EV bets doesn't help your account. Well, I 100% disagree with that because, look, I guess if you have access to 635 Bet365 accounts uh, and you're never going to run out of them, then you can treat them as you wish. And by the way, there's no reason why you shouldn't be a millionaire by the end of the year, how valuable a Bet365 is. Um, most people, myself included, do not have access to a large number of Bet365 accounts, and therefore it is of primary importance that we take care of the one that we're betting on. Um, and when I trigger a couple of two-ups last week, I need to make sure I'm giving something back. So if I win, and I'm just throwing figures out, I'm not giving you real figures here, but if I won £1,000 on a two-up, the next thing I would do is I would place like um, a Yankee featuring five teams I picked at random. It's important that I pick them at random because if I use any selection criteria to pick them, I'm probably going to pick value teams. You know, if anything, I could go to the effort of picking teams that are deliberately the worst value, but then there's something inside me that stops me from doing that. Like <laughs> if I know like a team is evens on the um, bet three, six, five and two to one on the exchange, like, there's an inner voice that would stop me from adding that to a selection. So just blindly like going into the... And also, I don't do the premiership because I might be doing two up in the premiership and I don't want to like pick a team, put a large multiple on it and then maybe have the opposing team for two up. It looks weird. So I'll go into the championship or into NFL or I did rugby premiership and I just pick four or five selections at random, throw them into a multiple uh, like a Yankee, £10 Yankee. A Yankee is 11 bets. It's a fourfold, three trebles, and seven doubles. So I'll put a tenner on that, and it'll cost £110. And look, you know, two of them come in, the double will win. Three of them come in, then you get a few doubles and a treble coming in. You never know, the fourfold might come in. Well, guess what? The fourfold came in. So I took bet, bet, Fred, uh, bet 365 for like £500 from a random fourfold on the rugby on the weekend. But what will happen there is that 365 will look at my account and they'll be like, this guy isn't just attacking value horses and isn't just triggering two up. There's also some negative EV bets going through there. That's what I think. There's no obvious... Like, no one's got a magic wand. I mean, how can I predict what criteria Bet365 are using to restrict people? But after two in the Europa Cup, I really want the account to stay open. So um, I thought Newcastle were supremely value, and I took them at Bet365. Why wouldn't I? I've got them mugged for returning £4,000, and then I sort of get on them um, quite large for two up as well. So I'm covering all bases because Man United aren't going to score first, are they? Uh, Newcastle are going to score first. It's just a question of whether they're going to get two. And that sounds flippant as a Toon fan. But why would Newcastle tend to back? And, and Well, there was the rant about um, from Gary Neville, which I actually think affected the price about the way that the 
the board were treating Jose Mourinho and the fact that they might sack him if he loses in the Newcastle match. And I think that made, um, that pushed the money out for Newcastle to 11. But look at Manchester United's previous results before this game. Valencia nil, Man United nil. West Ham three, Man United one. Man United two, Derby two. Wolves won, Man United won. They hadn't won a game in four games. And their opposition were Wolves, Derby, West Ham and Valencia. I mean, Newcastle aren't shouldn't be double figures against them. So Muto scored in the tenth minute to put Newcastle two up after Kennedy had scored in the seventh minute, and there triggers. I mean, all, only good things can happen now for me because I've got the four K if Newcastle win, and I've got the two up if they don't win. Um, uh, they did wait until the 70th minute. They were down to about 1.4 on the exchange as well, but Mata scored then Martial in the 76th minute, and classic Newcastle got beaten in injury time by Sanchez, and I'll take the two up any day of the week. Jose gets to keep his job for another day. But what a game, right? So five goals, Newcastle two up, Manchester United winning, injury time winner... You can't have more than that. that. was probably the game of the season so far. But then we came to Sunday. Now, somebody asked me recently, um, or generally asked a question, actually, on Telegram. I just jumped in and answered it. If DDHH Double Delight Hattrick Heaven really is that big of an offer, uh, this is the um, Betfred headline offer a lot of the time when you walk into store and you log on online and if you bet on first goal scorer in certain games most um headline games um unless like one of the teams is really one-sided and then he chickens out but if you bet on first goal scorer uh, and that goal scorer scores a second goal in the game then he'll double the odds and will triple for a hat trick now years ago I'm talking 2013, 2014. He used to do this crazy thing where he would also boost one of the people, like a prominent main striker, to best price. And you could back it and lay it for pretty much no loss whatsoever. And over time, you know, that that could never last the masses getting wind of it. In fact, recently... Um, a shop manager sort of said to someone when they went into shop, one of my pals, they said, um, we know your game. You back them and then you lay them on the exchange. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe in 2013, 2014. I mean, who wouldn't? Because there was the ability back then to get on risk-free. And so the stakes you could get were just insane because it was risk-free. You could get just as much as your bank. There was no bankroll management when it's risk-free. It's as much as you can get on. You lay it off and then you hope the guy scores first and scores second, as Eto did. But these days, Fred's caught on a little bit. Most games, there's not much on. Usually, sometimes like obscure games where there's little liquidity. What happens is he's mispriced one of the strikers. The money comes in and we find value. And... Because we're not on as many, and for various other reasons, I think these days the more fun play is just to value bet it, unless it's actually an ARB, and then it's back to the good old days of backing as much as you can and laying it off. So very, I don't lay very much, but if I, if, it was, if I had £10,000 on a double light hatch cabin, I'd obviously be laying it. And if it's an ARB, why not get £10,000 on if you can? 
any which way you can. So anyway, um, the double delight hat-trick heavens on the weekend on the Premiership were Fulham versus Arsenal and Southampton versus Chelsea. So these are exactly the kind of games that Fred keeps at a wide berth. And also, by the way, typically I had Sunday off, of course, didn't I? Because um, I had friends around. So a little bit of after timing here, though. So thankfully, some pals got on these for me on my behalf. Make sure you select first goal scorer, not last goal scorer on the slip, of course. Um, because Aubameyang was not starting, Lacazette was up on his own. He was 4.5 at Betfred and like six on the exchanges before that news. And when that news happened, he came into 4.5 at Betfred and five on the exchange. That's serious value. Go go and max out Lacazette based on your bankroll management at that price. You could even back and lay a little bit at 4.5 and 5 if you wanted to. And he got double delight in that game. Scored in the 29th minute and the 49th minute. Um, was taken off later in the game, which is a shame because he could have got his hat-trick because Arsenal scored five against Fulham. And then um, at, straight after that, exactly the same price, 4.572 for Eden Hazard, came in again to five. So it's the same deal. Now, had you laid this one off, you wouldn't have made any profit because you didn't get a second goal, but it would have certainly been worth... I mean, you've got to mug a little bit just to keep the fun and interest factor up, and you would have um, cashed in on the double of Lacazette and Hazard. So it was DDHH Sunday in the Premiership. So the answer I gave to the guy was, look, it's not as... Apologies if it's you, by the way. I forget who it was that asked the question, but um, the, the question was... Is it any good? And the answer is yes, you just have to be patient. Catch a steamer. It's not going to be every game, and the value's not as good as it was, but it was definitely... I mean, if you had um, attacked Sunday, you would have ended up seriously in profit. You really would. So, uh, yeah, very distant now. It was NFL after that on Sunday night. How's my 16-0 bet going? Kansas Chiefs and Rams are the last two teams, and they both won. Chiefs with an impressive 30-14 victory over the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that pushes uh, my 16-0 bet into week six. I'm still not convinced it's got any merit to it. Just the Chiefs and the Rams remain. Had a few decent value bets. None of these came in either. Sport Nation, Red Zone Sports, Packers minus one, Titans minus 3.5, Ravens minus 3.5, 109%, 7 to 1. Decent limits. Decent limits, that's the point of it. I mean, it didn't come in, but decent limits. So um, the other one was, where is it? Can't see, but off the top of my head, it was the Rams who won, as we just said, the Bengals who won 33-31, and Panthers to have two or more sacks. Now, the two or more sacks was hard, but I went through every game last year and every game this year. I mean, they had two or more sacks every game this year, and like 80% last year, so it would be around about the 1.6, something like that. And of course, they only got one sack in that in this game against the Giants, Luke Quelchley, so that one didn't come in at 2.75. So it was just, it was this was the story of the value mugs over the weekend. It was the worst, as I said at the beginning of the program, since the World Cup. And the William Hill NFL treble didn't come in either, although it was up um, very late on Smarkets. Last, the last time it was up on Matchbook and not Smarkets. This time it was up on Smarkets, not Matchbook. It's like, so can those guys 
make their minds up. So we couldn't make any money out of um, value boost enhancements. We couldn't make any money out of the more obscure ones either because they didn't come in. Where's the money coming from? Well, the NFL middles now, we've got a tracking page up. Um, we had six selections in week six. Now, bear in mind, you know, the pro- the whole point of these middles is when they hit, they're huge profit because you're winning both bets. And you're betting on things that are odds on. So, you know, a lot of bookmakers don't mind you putting 200, 300 quid on something that's odd on, odds on. So let's set, let's set around an average of 250 quid. Okay, so Skybet, Betfred, they shouldn't really be batting too much of an eye. It all depends on how your account looks, of course. If you're triggering £10 free bets by backing um, Grimsby at even money, then you're asking for trouble putting £250 on um, Eli Manning's passing yardage at 10 to 11. But that's kind of your own fault for the way you set up the account at the beginning. You went into it looking like a match better who just was interested in the sign-up bonus. You went for the sign-up bonus with the minimum qualifying losses possible, and now you're struggling to get value bets on. Don't come running, running to me crying. Here's an idea. If the sign-up bonus is bet 10, get 10, try forgetting about it and maybe triggering the sign-up bonus with your usual day-to-day betting. And or ev- You could forget about the £10 SNR or throw it on something ridiculously high odds. But don't bet on Grimsby at evens and then shove your £10 free bet on a horse at 13 to 1 at Chelmsford on a Tuesday afternoon. Or do do that and don't come ring to me when it doesn't come in. So if your account can handle um, the £250 um, at even money, then you should be looking at about £500 profit, just a little bit less, uh, from each middle. And we're roughly losing for that about £20 per middle. Sometimes we're getting obs and losing nothing. Sometimes we're losing a tenner, sometimes we're losing 20 quid. So we want to be hitting these more frequently than about 1 in 25 times. Well, we've hit 2 in the first, how many? 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, we've hit 2 in the first 10. Um, and I think a 1 in 5 hit rate is probably going to be roughly what we're on. So definitely worth doing these NFL middles. And it's big profit as well. It sets off the week. If your accounting week starts on a Sunday, then what better way to kick off than with the NFL and these... So um, uh, Washington Redskins, we had Crowder receiving yards over 48.5 was 1.85 at Bet Victor under 57.5 was 1.91 at Skybet. So for touching 500 quid, it's about £22 loss. Middle is 16%. We're looking for between 48.5 and 57.5. He got 55 yards receiving in that game. And so you win both the bet victor um, over bet and the sky bet under bet. If you have the ideal matchup here would be a a middle between red zone sports and matchbook for two reasons one red zone sports are specialists in um uh, north american sports and their limits are crazy like two grand two grand on a player prop and matchbook are an exchange so they literally don't care how much money you put on as long as you don't win a million pounds per year or twenty thousand pounds in an undefined period of time i'll come to that in another bashcast and um, because so if you can get on both of those you, you could be looking at a five grand middle but this was bear victor and sky bet so we are getting a little bit lower odd um limits there but still smashing it what does the graph say for the middles i think we're 800 pounds in profit if you're going for um 
for 500 pounds per middle and we've only had 10 bets so yeah that is where the nfl profits came from now nba starts in the middle of october the thing is you guys look at me you see the backwards hat the uh gray socks the funky outfit and you say now this guy's a chump am i right a fucking geek a, a fucking like, geek oh, exactly geek. all right but what you don't realize is that it ain't easy it is hard <laughs> goddamn work making something this pretty look like a chump or a geek so i must be doing it for a reason well you got me convinced whatever the reason may be fact is i missed this shot i'll walk away i'm still a chump Go ahead and walk away. You miss, and you've been beat, well, not once, but twice by a slow, white, geeky chunk. <laughs> so last year it was all about uh, Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant. Um, they walked away with the title for the, is it the fourth year in a row? 2015. 2016, 2017, and 2018. All so the Golden State Warriors have got a grip on the NBA over in America, and the markets reflect that this year. Golden State Warriors are 1.71 on the exchanges um, to get the 2019 NBA title. Boston Celtics um, are the only other team in single. F- figures 7.6 Houston Rockets are 13.5 so it seems like it's um all about well it it seems like and it is all about the Golden State Warriors uh, a few bets up at Red Army so they've got Golden State to win over 73.5 games at 14 to 1 well, they went 58-24 last season. That wasn't close. 67-15 the year before. 73-9. That was a little bit closer. So they went 73-9 three years ago. Um, and because of that, okay, so if you take the trend, teams are catching up with Golden State. But 14-1, to 1, really hard to work out what the value is on that. But I went into my... Um, like bonus cash back area of Red Army Bet, and I could cash in um, 20 quid's worth of funds. So I did, and then instead of just withdrawing it, threw it on that bet, because it's the best way when you don't know if it's good or not, uh, is just to throw it on there. I really should put it on the forum as well, so there's no effort to timing. Golden State to score 95 or more points in every game. A little bit more sketchy, Last season, well, the first um, 17 games of the season, they got more than 97 points. But then um, against Oklahoma City Thunder, it was 108-91 against Oklahoma. But then, if you want to be pedantic, like the ne- the next 15 games, they got more than 95 points. If you count them all up, one, two, um, one, two, three, four, five games out of... And a whopping, can you believe how many games are in an NBA season if you win it? 103. Five games out of 103, they got less than um, 95 points. So what odds do you want on every game 95 or more? 
Um, 20 to 1? I would want at least 20 to 1, I think. 24 to 1. Sounds like it could be value. I don't know, but I'm going to bet on it. because Another good thing about betting an NBA, which is fun, is like there's a game, there's a game, there's a game. Like every two or three days, you log on and go, ooh, this got more than 95 points. That could go on for a long time. That could, that could bring, that's the kind of bet that could bring pleasure into the new year. Um, and they've got a Golden State player to win the NBA scoring title. Now, this isn't like um, the top goal scorer in the Premiership. You would think that the team that was likely to go furthest would be the team that had the player who scored the most points, but they don't do it like that. They do it on average points per game. So you could um, play just the season and not the playoffs and still win that bet. And that's why in the last um, couple of seasons, it's been a guy from the Houston Rockets and a guy from Oklahoma City who has won it. Stephen Curry did win it in 2015 for the Warriors. Uh, Durant won it in 2012 um, when Oklahoma th- won the NBA. Um Although you have to go back to the year 2000 before then. So three times in the last 20 years. So, yeah, you know, statistically, you can't... This is way too small of a sample size here, but we'd be looking at 7-1, to one, and it is 7-1 to one at Red Army Bet. So that's the one I don't... I think I might leave. I'm not sure. I'll kick myself if it is Stephen Curry and um, Golden State with it. But I'm going to take Golden State, score 95 points or more, in every game at 24 to 1, and I'm going to have Golden State to win over 73.5 games at 14 to 1, both of which are extraordinarily unlikely. But um, again, NBA is fun to bet on for season long bets because of the frequency of the game. Harab Lobus Vulgaris, who is a Greek Canadian, um, plays all the high stakes poker games. Um, and as a youngster, if you haven't heard of him, by the time he was 25, he'd amassed a fortune and was regularly placing $1 million in bets in a single day of NBA games. He made his millions exploiting his edge uh, of observing game management tendencies by three head coaches, Eddie Jordan, Jerry Sloan, and Byron Scott. Um, he came fourth in the 2017 WSOP One Drop event. Um, which is his only finish in the W in the World Series of Poker. So, boom, Vulgaris and me um, from the same branch there, except his buy-in was 100 times higher than mine. Anyway, um, he has been given a new job in the front office uh, at the Dallas Mavericks, which really says a lot about sports betting in the NBA. Um, Harabalus is the Director of Quantitative Research and Development, apparently. Um, so there's this whole concept in America of um, teams hiring statisticians to come in and um, apply advantage play in certain um, points during the game, um, like in ice hockey where they have uh, indicators on you know things like positivity, in the game and things like that and um obviously baseball is the biggest one but nba does it as well and now they've employed a um, professional advantage player as quantitative and research development director um so reading up here it says that his um he had a bet on the kobe um 
Shaq Lakers at six and a half to one to win one the first of what would be three consecutive NBA titles. There was a statistical analysis of scoring that showed more points were tallied in the second half of games than the first, allowing Volgaris to exploit two high first half lines and two low second half lines until the bookmakers caught on. And then there was application of trends he saw from certain coaches and referees that the odds makers weren't taking into account. Uh, Volgaris has drawn the attention of owners since um, long before the Mavericks Cuban plucked him up. According to the Washington Post article in the 2009-10 NBA season, he was consulted for an unnamed team on their roster construction. But this is a new level of transparency in terms of an NBA franchise saying that sports betting is a legitimate sidecar to their business and the best and most statistically advanced sports bettors can help them. And it's coming from an owner who said that the Supreme Court's reversal of PASPA, allowing state-by-state legalization of sports betting, doubled the value of professional sports franchising in a second. Remember we said a few weeks ago about the NBA, they really want to embrace sports betting Um, But they did have that crazy request that um, in America, if you were to bet on basketball, they want 1% of all turnover. Not profits, 1% of all turnover. So no wonder they are interested in encouraging and embracing the gambling world. So it should be interesting what happens there. And what uh, Volgaris can bring to the Dallas Mavericks. If interested... The Dallas Mavericks are available on the exchange at 470 for the season. So you never know. What a story. Is it a Hollywood movie in the future that's going to be made about this? Now that I've said it, I'm going to have to have a pound on that. Right, guys. It's enough. Take us to the break. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net.
and welcome back to the Bashcast. That was My Love by Martin Solveig, Kolsch Remix, 2018. Just because it's been about three weeks since we've had a Kolsch tune on the Bashcast. So why not? In the bookie bashing news, Pinnacle have published the biggest losses in Pinnacle's history. One of the biggest losses? Which events have cost Pinnacle the most money? How often does the world's sharpest bookmaker get it wrong? So this is an article about Pinnacle by Pinnacle. They say Pinnacle is known for offering the sharpest odds online. Expert traders with years of experience in the industry manage these odds, but sometimes things don't go exactly to plan. Much like betters, bookmakers do lose money. What are the biggest losses in Pinnacle's history? Pinnacle has previously published information on the biggest ever payout to one customer on a single bet, and that left many people asking the same question. What is Pinnacle's biggest loss for an individual event? Below is a list of the five events where Pinnacle has made the biggest combined loss on all markets offered for that event. Number five, South Korea versus Algeria in the FIFA World Cup 2014. Algeria's win against South Korea at the 2014 World Cup stands out on this list, as some people may expect that it wouldn't be very popular from a betting perspective. However, it's important to remember that those who make money from betting don't necessarily bet on the most popular games. They bet when they believe the odds don't reflect the true probability of an event occurring. The odds of this match were initially set before the tournament began with South Korea, the favourites at 2.28, Algeria available at 3 3.66 and the draw at 3.24. After the opening round of fixtures, where Algeria lost 2-1 to Belgium and South Korea drew 1-1 with uh, with Russia, the odds barely moved. They were very similar to the opening mark by the time the game kicked off. A flurry of goals from the 26th to the 38th minutes saw Algeria storm into a three-goal lead. Sun Hyung-min pulled a goal back for South Korea before Brahimi added another for Algeria. Chow did make the score 4-2 with 15 minutes to go, but it was sadly too little too late for the South Koreans. Pinnacle ultimately got stung across the board in terms of the markets on offer for this match, as the 1x2 and handicaps bets on Algeria returned as a win. With the overs in total goals markets sailing in before half-time, all in all, this outcome resulted in a seven-figure loss for Pinnacle. Number four. Spain versus Netherlands, same World Cup. The Netherlands were a World Cup powerhouse back in the 1970s and 80s, but despite their struggles in recent years, a victory over Spain wouldn't go down as a huge surprise. But no one saw a 5-1 demolition coming in Group B's opening fixture for the 2014 World Cup. Opening odds of 2.06 for Spain compared to 3.39 for Netherlands show that Pinnacle's traders believe Spain's quality would show. The goals mark of um, the total goals mark of two goals in the build-up to the match showed that the betting market seemed to be favouring a low-scoring game. Initially, Pinnacle's faith in Spain was rewarded when Zabi Alonso put um, the side 1-0 up from the penalty spot. But from then on, the Spanish defence crumbled as the Netherlands scored four goals in the 25-second minute halves before adding the fifth and the final nail in the Pinnacle's uh, coffin in the 80th minute. While the Netherlands win wasn't a great result for Pinnacle... When combined with the handicap bets and all the winning customers on over two goals at 1.8, it really was a disastrous day and another seven-figure loss. 
Number three, Belgium versus England in the FIFA World Cup 2018. Now, given that Pinnacle's two previous biggest losses came in 2014, you could be forgiven for thinking that things had changed in recent years and the bookmaker no longer suffered such devastating results. Fortunately for customers, that isn't the case. During this year's World Cup, Pinnacle suffered its third biggest loss in a single event. The third-placed playoff of a World Cup is often quickly forgotten, but Pinnacle certainly won't be forgetting Belgium's 2-0 win over England in a hurry. After the two met in Group G's dead rubber uh, two weeks prior, where Belgium won 1-0, many were anticipating this match would be more fiercely contested. Belgium opened as 2.23 favourites and England at 3.35. The total goals were set fairly high at 3. Plenty of bettors were quick to jump on these odds as Belgium shortened in the market and the total goals figure dropped to 2.75 by the time kickoff came around. Belgium ended up celebrating a third place finish in the World Cup and while England could still feel proud of their achievements, not much could be done to soften the blow of paying out huge amounts of money that Pinnacle had suffered. Number 2. France versus Switzerland in the UEFA European Championships in 2016. After success on home soil at the 1988 World Cup, France would have been confident heading into the Euro 2016 as hosts. They were priced at 4.17 in the outright market before the tournament began. After two wins in the opening group games, France looked like a genuine contender to go all the way. In the final of the group games, France came up against the Switzerland side with a draw guaranteeing both sides would progress to the round of 16. The host nation opened as favourites at 1.6, with their opponents priced at 5.9 in the draw at 4. Despite what was at stake, Pinnacle set the total goals mark at 2.5, with the, un- with the under only slightly favoured at 1.92 compared to the over at 1.95. So it seemed like the draw was not only beneficial to both France and Switzerland, but also to Pinnacle's customers. Betters who took the under on 2.5 goals would have had reason to celebrate it, as although Pogba and Payet hit the woodwork for France, Switzerland failed to register a single shot on the target, and the match ended nil-nil. And number one in a replay of the 2012 European Championships final, it's Italy versus Spain in the UEFA European Championships 2016 round of 16 stage. Much like the previous meeting at the Euro 2012, Spain opened as the favourite at 2.19, while Italy were the underdogs at 4.21, with the draw available at 3.06. Few goals were expected, with the totals goals set at 2, and the under priced at 1.725. Conte's side managed to get their revenge for their defeat four years prior, after Chiellini opened the scoring on 33 minutes, and Pele, not that one, added a second in added time. Despite dominating possession and creating plenty of chances, Spain couldn't break down a solid Italian defence and save Pinnacle's skin. Previous form and results would have had many thinking that this match was Spain's for the taking, but they were undone by a very disciplined Italy side. The fact that this match has gone down in history as Pinnacle's biggest loss shows that not only did Pinnacle get the odds wrong, but many customers were sharp enough to pick up on it. Pinnacle still wince at the thought of this game and the money flooding out as the minutes continued to tick over until the full-time whistle was blown. To this day, still, over two years later, the Italy versus Spain match of the 2016 European Championships is the biggest loss ever suffered by the bookmaker. It's Jeff Banks time. Oh, I know I promised never to talk about him again, but it's just so easy. He's, um, I think last seen by the curtains of his house 
shaking his fist silently furious at the children next door. The um, oddest man in bookmaking has released a bet, uh, a blog, sorry, called The Unpalatable Truth About Big Betting. So what's Jeff got to say um, as of October the 7th, 2018? There's nothing folk detest more about modern day bookmaking than the culture of restrictions, says the man that restricted me after two bets. It causes ill will on both sides. At no stage in my career has the relationship between bookmaker and their customers been at such a low point. One only has to follow social networking to appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, okay. You're a victim of your own demise. Jeff, um, it might surprise you to hear, and it certainly won't be an opinion some will like to hear, that the cause of restrictions lies in exchanges and indeed in the deterioration in the friendly enmity between each side. Exchanges have made punters greedy and lazy. So I'm just going to summarise here. You won't like to hear this, but the reason behind restrictions is because punters are greedy and lazy. So there we go. We can finish this article, can we? No, let's see what he goes on to say. It's a forced me. It's a. It's forced major betting firms to compete with it head on, and by extension, treating customers exactly as exchanges do, like a number. And a burgeoning group of former punters have turned in to money trading. <gasps> What's money trading? There have been those who chide my firm rather unfairly on socials over restrictions, but there are two central truths I'd like to point out. We do not, in fact, restrict customer stakes. We are the only firm to offer a comprehensive £1,000 lay-to-lose minimum, and that is a very serious statement of intent. It's also not true, Jeff. It's also not true. Um, because there are plenty of people that have accounts that are SB-only, um, but there you go. And however... If we encounter trader, we close them summarily. Want a percentage of new accounts that we are forced? Oh, sorry, excuse me. Want a percentage of new accounts that we are forced to close? It's currently running at fifteen percent of every application made to us. That's a grotesque percentage. We don't filter by profit or loss, but by the type of business afforded. I don't buy the explanation from Skybet CEO Richard Flint, who makes claim the figure and restrictions is less than 2%. It's pure fiction. Second, we have never been responsible for the environment which restrictions abound. We are simply forced to compete with much larger operators and their offer cultures. It's inescapably factual were we not to follow their lead and bend to promo offers that we simply would not have to put the key in the door. And by the way, if I'm strong, if it sounds like I'm struggling to read this, it's because it's really poorly written. That's why it's like I'm tripping over the words because they're not grammatically correct. So there you go. Okay. So let me share the commercial reality with you. It's one based on the Arc de Triomphe. I noticed several firms are offering extra places on what should have been a money-spinning event. Skybet led the five-place offer in a race, which traditionally plays out on three. This offer, in the simplest terms, involved the company betting to 78% in its early shows on the place market. A loss of a £100 investment. A loss for every £100 investment on the market of £22 for every £100 wagered. They were shouldering a staggering £30 loss for every wager laid on the Arc de Triomphe. Still think you'll get a bet on with Skybets and their mates? All the major firms are running at a loss of similar proportions. For the sake of balance, William Hill betting to standard terms of one-fifth the first three horses would have shown 
a £17 profit for every £100 staked on the place uh, in their early market. William Hill, therefore, were more likely to lay a bet on the ARC. To test the water, one of my staffers decided to place a series of wagers on the ARC, each way with Skybet. He was summarily closed. They advertised a special, but if you actually play in it, you're closed. So let me get this right, Mr. Flint. You promote these events for your customers. The most likely net effect is to force a restriction to be applied. What exactly is your customer-focused message? Richard Flint admits that 3% of his customer base are restricted. That figure hasn't been verified and, in my opinion, is entirely fanciful given the company's offer culture. Even were you to accept his assertion, he's saying that a staggering 16,000 customers, as a minimum, don't get their bets laid. They'd rather restrict than close. I have a personal Skybet account, which is as useful as a chocolate frying pan. I can't wager one pound on it, but they've never closed it the same. What is he moaning about here? That he has a Skybet account that they won't let him bet on? I have a Jeff Banks account that you won't let me bet on. So what is the point? I don't understand. This is it turned into waffle. So following me so far? No, I'm sorry, Jeff, I'm not. He said, sorry if it's a little figure little figure laden, but it's important to grasp the problem here. I think you can see offers actually make it impossible to function as a bookmaker normally. Now let's turn to money traders, as I call them, money traders. Money traders, right? And explain how they operate and why they need to declassify themselves as punters. So I'm going to guess ahead of time that I'm a money trader, as defined by um, Jeff Banks. So I need I need to find out now why I need to declassify myself as a punter. Imagine a horse returned at 6-1 to one and a straightforward £100 each way wager. Yep, okay, 6-1. to one. That's 6-5 to five as a return on the place book. And five lovely places for her to run into. The money trader looks for a bookmaker whose odds directly mirror or even exceed those of betting exchanges on the win book. So he backs class at seven, and in an ideal world, he lays it back at the same rate, or even less. So back the win at seven, lay at seven. If he can lay it back at 6.8, he could lock in a small risk-free profit. It's the place book in this example which he is really targeting with his bet to cover his 100 pound wager he lays it back the horse was trading on the exchange place book at around 2.0 meaning he deposits 200 pound to cover the lay bet this is again really difficult to follow because it's written so poorly but what he's saying he's talking about taking advantage of extra places a sky better paying him he, um, 240 pounds for his wager he has an immediate profit or in inverted commas ob as it is known right However, there's a more lucrative bonus to the money trader. The bookie is paying five places. The exchange is paying three. If C of class finishes fourth or fifth, the trader collects from the bookie and wins his place lay, which means he's won both bets. He could win up to 20 or 30 pounds without risking his money. Win-win or risk nil. If he could get on, he could do this on several horses and have a good shot at the fourth or fifth place, laying everything for zero risk and a healthy upside. Now, provided his selection fills the prized places, his only enemy is account restriction or closure. Every bookmaker that shuts him down is affecting his livelihood. Are you beginning to understand why they utilize every member of their friends and family to get a bet on now? This isn't the only get-rich scheme which traders utilize. It is, however, the easiest example to understand. It's not that easy for the way you've explained it. Listen, 
He gets angrier and angrier as he continues now through clenched teeth. There are schemes based on best odds, money back offers, deposit bonuses, non-runner no bets, football accumulators and more. All based on the simple premise of back and lay, a modern day side effect of the advent of betting exchanges. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, a punter is primarily a risk taker and sometimes a very clever one. He wages his cash and takes his chances. That is true of any gambler. And my fo- my business is focusing on servicing their wages. I believe that a bet, a bet culture should die. Money traders simply need a compliant bookmaker to facilitate their trades. And without the bookie, the trader has no business. And that is why... When their accounts are closed, they make vitriolic attacks, masquerading as a genuine punter or a lifelong gambler on social networking, and everyone sympathises, apparently, with their plight. You can argue until you're blue in the face that you should be treated in the same way as punters going about honest wageries. Form is meaningless to you. Every wager is an exercise in numbers trading, and now we're capital letters. You are not a Punter! Let's all put our cards on the table and start being honest with each other. You're acting as a bookmaker and operating a business. You're practically easy to spot by career bookmakers as every trade relates to paralleling or exceeding exchange odds. Firms make no apologies for closing you down simply because you're operating a business within your own. So smile to yourself that you've been rumbled and move on. Enough of the sensationalist crap online. You cheapen yourself. Yes, there will be the odd genuine come punter who is unfairly caught in the net along with you. And I think we all need to be realistic in the modern greed culture. The environment offered by big betting has never afforded such rich rewards for punters or funded by huge gaming profits. So this is my view, and it's not one that I can affect change in. This is the brainchild of spotty traders working for big betting, fresh out of school with a D in mathematics. Large concerns such as SkyBest base their success and share price on the number of customers they acquire. If it costs several million to run each one of these event-based promotions, which it does, then this is the cheap way to pay for a company that's grown from 1.1 billion to 4.8 billion in a few years. Eventually, they'll end up like Ladbrokes. It has been fodder for large competition competitors to acquire. In the meantime, remember, there's blame on both sides. They created the environment in which you prosper with continuous and weekly loss leaders to encourage people to sign up, and you make a business out of it. Closures and restrictions are in fact thoroughly inevitable for companies that knowingly trade consistently below the profit line. Accept them for as long as you refuse to take the matter to trading standards and for that matter a slumbering gambling commission. Or perhaps consider a firm that does a more sensible approach, as we do. Failing that, moan away on Twitter after you sign up. Jeff Banks, October 2018, followed by a picture of him waving his finger in the air. Jeff Banks, ladies and gentlemen. Um, If you know where he is this afternoon, perhaps check on him. Make sure he's okay. Okay. Um, Are there any edges anywhere? 
Come on, come on, that didn't happen. Your memory's playing tricks. Betfair Australia, tweet out. Um, do you think bookies would allow you to get one out of four legs wrong and get a refund if it wasn't in their best interest? Bet without bookies' margins and gamble responsibly. And then they have a little picture here of Betfair Exchange. And they offer up a question. And the question is, do you bet on multis, meaning accumulators, because the pros rarely do? Is that a fact? Bet fair. I find it fascinating that people who say what professional bettors do or rarely do are most likely not professional betters <laughs> because i rarely come across one that offers advice that's actually true look i don't confess to know every single way that professional betters make money right all i know is that i do this for a living and i know what i do and one of the key components of what i do and i know other professional betters do it as well is that they compound value into multiples because when you take something that's 103% EV and something else that's 103% EV and you multiply it together, you get 109% EV. That's why we do it. So when you, that's why the bet 365 million pound 18-year-old had a series of Yankees and multiples. That's how, that's how professional bettors use multis to gain an additional edge on top of the edge that they already have. Okay? It's, not, it's, it's kind of also betting 101 it's like it's not even that much of a complicated concept to understand and here's betfair exchange with a sponsored advert out and they say do you bet on multis and the answer here is because pros rarely do okay fine i mean fine I think, I think the pros need to form a union, though, to challenge these things. I'm talking about Betfair Australia. I think we're now, we did have desires a couple of years ago to start looking at what is offered over there in terms of markets because it's very much shooting fish in a barrel. The matched betting culture has ignited in the UK and flooded the market and almost made um, the environment of 2014, 2015 unsustainable. And so that's why things uh, for risk-free match betters are much harder than they used to be. In Australia, it's much easier because that culture has not ignited. And therefore, sign-up bonuses, money-back specials um, are much higher. Also, because the Aussie dollar is worth like a million dollars to the pound just now. So just in terms of the economy, things are worth more as well. So we've now um, got someone um, over in Australia sending over these offers and hopefully we'll start to um, get the Australian side of bookie bashing really um, fleshed out in the next few in the next few months. What else is out there? 
This, uh, this is a report in the Daily Mail. Teenagers find a genius way to hack an arcade machine so that they always win and you'll kick yourself for not thinking of it first. Well, okay. And this is from the Daily Mail Australia, posted on the 10th of October 2018. A group of teenagers have discovered a genius method to win an arcade game every single time. So a video has emerged online of crafty teens winning the jackpot prize of Deal or No Deal using a clever trick at the Zone Bowling Centre in Ar- in Australia. The video begins with a group of friends hovering around the arcade machine and recording the game screens on their iPhones. So on the iPhones, I'm looking at a screenshot here, you have four by four suitcases um, and follow the cases is what it says. Now, based on the popular TV show of the same name, 16 briefcases are revealed to the teens, each containing points between one and 800. The cases are then closed and shuffled randomly. An average eye is unable to follow the fast speed of the moving cases, but the cunning teenagers reviewed the footage they had filmed in slow motion to find the winning case. The gamers begin to select the cases with the lowest points and avoid sealing the deal until the final winning case remains. The teenagers were able to win thousands of tickets after playing a number of games and traded their vouchers at the counter for a game of Jenga as the major prize. So they didn't win millions or hundreds of thousands. Uh, It's not really the scale of Phil Ivey, but it's equally impressive. I love the pluckiness of them. So well done, those teens. They, they, They thought of an idea, they broke the system, and they gained an advantage as a result. And fair play to them. What's coming up this weekend? Well, like an ex that you just don't want to be in touch with ever ever again and then all of a sudden she just appears on your doorstep and you're like what are you doing here and she's like you said i could come round and i was like i'd forgotten about you and she's like but i'm staying and i'm like but it's international friendlies week again that's where i'm going with astrology and i wasn't really doing very well with it it's international friendlies week again um at least it is for wales who are playing spain for the rest of the world it's the uefa nations league and to be fair to my exes i do forget about the good times and only think about the bad times now that i'm married because this was awesome last time around the market's got it completely right i haven't seen that much value um hovering around for it but northern ireland are away to austria and are a big price as well uh friday evening um and england face i'm just scrolling down to them where are they where's england croatia where Croatia are the favourites. Someone told me that that was behind closed doors. I don't know the story behind that, but apparently it's behind closed doors, so that would be a strange one to watch on the television if it if it's, um, if it's true. So on the track now, we've got a Unibet, by the way. There's a huge 15-to-1 Unibet that came in midweek. It's a shame I don't have an account that will let me bet on it, but if you do, you smashed the um, League Cup midweek. Unibet, I've got Austria, Finland and Greece, 7.5 to back, 6.6 to... Uh, fair market price, 113%. And then there's a few at Betway, Grosner, Quinn bet um, uh, as well. Now, we have two trackers up on the site just now. Uh, I was talking about Lee's tracker last week, and it goes from strength to strength. There's now the ability to add manual boosts to it, which are static, but the... Um, 
the non-static boosts, the main ones, those back odds are being tracked and the lay odds are being tracked every half an hour and are updating themselves. So it's looking really good. And the ability to add manual stuff is there as well. Now, just every now and again, it does run into a few bugs, things like England women, under 21s, um, strange spellings. The tracker has the ability to pick something up and get a little bit confused. Um, but every time one of these problems is ironed out, these really good, uh, the problem doesn't come back. So it's like we're just getting going through a process of finding every problem, solving it, each problem seems to be solved quickly, efficiently, and doesn't come back. And so we're getting really close to a point where we can promote this as the main tracker on the site. At the moment, we are still using this dual crossover system. So um, Lee's is in beta. Uh, mine is still the main one on the site. Um, they are slightly different for the reasons that I just explained. Lee's is in real time. Mine is static. Um, if you do see one on Lee's, just, uh, especially if it's huge EV, as always, and even if it's on mine as well, do your own research. Do It's maybe an idea to double check um, the backs and the lays and everything is right. And so there is no bug anywhere. But it's, a, it's an impressive addition and just shows the power of an intelligent community that we have over in bookiebashing.net. And so let's keep that going. Let's keep the inertia going. Let's have a home of excellence for advantage players to come and bet at. And you never know. Maybe this could be the home of money traders. Wouldn't that be a really, really good thing? Jeff, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? All right, guys, whatever it is that you're betting on this weekend, do make sure it's value. This is Tom signing out. This is big. That's the coolest fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Can I hear it again? Do you have time?